Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. The dust is starting to settle from Tuesday night's elections, and now we have a chance to look at what those results might mean for the next two years of public policy decisions in Idaho. I'm Melissa Davlin. Idaho Reports starts now. Hello and welcome to Idaho Reports. This week, former U.S. Attorney for Idaho Betty Richardson, Ken Burgess of Veritas Advisors, and Dr. Jacqueline Kettler of Boise State University School of Public Service join me to break down this week's congressional, statewide, and legislative election results, as well as the passage of SJR 102 and what all of that could mean for the next couple years of policy. So let's get to some of the results, starting with the congressional races. Incumbent representatives Russ Fulcher and Mike Simpson easily won on Tuesday, as did U.S. Senator Mike Crapo. Idaho Reports producer Ruth Brown had a chance to talk to Senator Crapo on Tuesday night. Well, the first thing we've got to do when we get back to Washington is to stop the spending spree, bring some sanity to our budget. Secondly, restore our energy policy so that we can be energy independent again. We've shown how to do that. And then third, close the borders. We've got to stop the open border system that is now in place. So a lot of that is damage control. But then on top of that, we've got to restore our, our income tax code and our trade policy so that we can build our economy back to that strong economy we had just a few years ago. Ken, I wanted to start with you. You worked for Senator Craig for several years. As of the time we're having this conversation, we're not sure if the Republicans are gonna have a majority or a minority in the Senate for the next two years. At the end of the day, does it make a big difference for Idaho constituents whether our congressional team is in that min minority or majority? In, in terms of the constituent services work that they do, n probably not as much. But in terms of a broader policy initiatives that, that they will, may want to pursue, yes, because in the end, the, the, the majority is of in each house, as we can tell, is going to be so slim that it will be very difficult, I think, for Congress to be able to get a lot of big policy work done. Uh, the Senate issue is, has a lot more to do with uh, w whether President Biden's federal judge appointees and or new cabinet secretaries that he might be uh, nominating can get through a Senate, right? And so it's right now it's either going to be 50-50 or 51-49, and really to get big policy work done in the Senate, you need 60 votes. Dr. Kettler, I was curious what your takeaway from those congressional results from Tuesday. What, what, what were your big takeaways? Well, I think going back to this question about being in the majority or minority will also shape what role they play and what positions, like whether they become leaders or ranking members, those types of questions too, right? And so that can also speak to their policy um, kind of goals. As well as I think, I mean, it demonstrated just kind of the, the strength that Republicans bring to some of these, these positions, especially these congressional races that we see. Yeah, we have about 15 seconds left before we need to move on. Uh, Betty, I'm curious, the Democratic candidates, are we going to see more of them in the future? 
I would be surprised if we don't see more of them in the future. I think both Kaylee Peterson and Wendy Norman um, found this uh, to be a very invigorating exercise. They did well, and they just started. So I think we'll see more of them, yes. U.S. Democratic uh, candidate um, David Roth, too, who ran for Senate. He, he may, I haven't spoken with David, he may run again. I would think that he might run in, at the local level. Um, but yes, I, we'll see more of all of them. On to statewide races, Republicans not only swept every statewide office from governor to controller, but most Republican candidates increased their margins from four years ago. Incumbent Brad Little won with 60.5% of the vote, while Democrat Stephen Height took 20%, and independent candidate Ammon Bundy took 17%. People are tired of record inflation, limited opportunity, and government leaders who ignore the struggles that diminish their opportunities. Here in Idaho, we've responded to the call for businesses and citizens to make government responsive and accountable. Years of consecutive good governing, conservative governing, and positioning Idaho to take back more of their hard-earned money so that they can have record tax relief, to have the strongest economy in the United States and to have the most stable budgets with the best chance for Idaho to weather any lingering recession. We're ready to keep Idaho the least regulated state. We're ready to unleash innovation and enormous potential for businesses and not stifle them so Idahoans can have the maximum opportunity. We're ready to provide Idahoans with more relief from taxes. Dr. Kettler, I, I don't think anyone was surprised that Governor Little won on Tuesday. What I want to talk about were those next two top vote getters, Ammon Bundy and Stephen Height. Both of them got pretty close to the same amount. You know, they want, we votes. need to make sure. But I, I'm curious, what do you take from that? Does that mean that the Democratic candidate uh, had an unsuccessful campaign, that Bundy had a wildly successful campaign, or that Bundy spent a lot of money and still got the same amount of votes as Stephen Height? Lots of great questions. And, and Height's campaign wasn't especially active, right? Um, and so I think that that probably affected the, the vote totals there for, for him. But additionally, some Democrats, a lot of unaffiliated voters, might have voted for little in an effort kind of against Bundy. Bundy receiving 17% as an independent candidate is kind of interesting. You noted there was a lot of money spent, maybe a lot of continued kind of frustration over COVID policies, or a lot of support for some of those far-right far-right far policy proposals that drove voters to support him. Ken, while, while we're on the topic of, of Ammon Bundy, how much momentum do you think that his supporters will have moving into this next legislative session or two? Uh, I think there's, there, I think they're going to feel a little emboldened. I think by the amount that he got, um, I, 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 I like to believe that kind of gives us a good idea of how many of the kind of ultra right wing people voters are out there. Um, and you know, there was a time when I thought once Ron Paul was no longer running for president, that 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 kind was going to kind of dissipate, and it hasn't. In fact, if anything, it's strengthened. And so uh, I think there will be a lot. There will be they'll feel like they've got they've got a little bit of momentum and can try to get some things done. I did want to ask you about Stephen Height. I'm not sure that I've ever seen a Democratic candidate for governor get only 20% of the vote. Uh, w was that about what you were expecting on Tuesday night? Yeah. Um, 
frankly, he ran a, <laughs> to say that he ran an inactive campaign was being generous. Um, and, um, you know, just candidly, he was the most disengaged candidate we might have had. Um, and that was very unfortunate. And I think it hurt the entire ticket all the way down. We needed a strong, articulate candidate running for governor who could espouse a vision for what he thought or she thought Idaho could and should be. And um, Mr. Height was not that person. Was that entirely on Mr. Height, or should the Idaho Democratic Party have been more active in trying to get him into the fold? I can tell you for a fact that the Idaho Democratic Party did everything they possibly could to get him into the fold. And um, that was not happening. Got it. On to statewide races. Republicans did well in those seats as well. Lieutenant Governor candidate Scott Bedke won with 64% of the vote, beating Democrat Terry Pickens Manweiler. In the Attorney General race, Republican Raul Labrador got 62% against Democrat Tom Arcouche. Republican Superintendent candidate Debbie Critchfield got 69% against Democratic candidate Terry Gilbert. The other Republican candidates won easily as well, with Secretary of State candidate Phil McGrain winning with 72% of the vote, incumbent Treasurer Julie Ellsworth 71%, and incumbent controller Brandon Wolf, 69%. Producer Ruth Brown spoke with some of those incoming officials on Tuesday night after their wins. Here's what they had to say. You know, on day one, we need to make sure that we have the right staff, that we talk to the people that are there, that everybody understands what the mission is. And the mission for the Attorney General's office for the next four years is going to be to defend the people of Idaho, to understand that we're going to fight against the encroachment of the Biden administration, that we're going to be, make sure the bureaucratic state in Idaho doesn't overreach, and it's going to be to stand up for rights uh, and the freedoms of, of individuals. We're going to get right to work on a transition team. We want to make that as smooth as possible so that there's no gap uh, with kids or teachers or parents. We want to make sure that schools feel supported and that as we go into the new legislative session that we've got a solid budget that reflects the outcomes that we're looking at. So that's going to take an amount of work, but I'm excited. I'm, I'm just really hopeful about where we could be in Idaho with education. First, I'm really hoping that today's election stands out, right? Many of these people are participating in it. We had a larger volume of poll watchers for this election than we've ever had, but it really went smoothly today. And I think it's a sign of building confidence by those people who are watching and just a sign that we're doing it properly here in the state of Idaho. I'm going to do everything I can to educate and share information with the new legislators coming in. And I really do look forward to working with them to make sure we can continue to improve our election system, but not change something that's working. You, you can count on us to always do what we've been doing, and that is to concentrate on the fundamentals, which is to empower parents, which is to always live within the taxpayer's means, to always back the blue, protect life, protect the Second Amendment. That's what we do, that's what you can expect out of us, and that's why everybody wants what Idaho has. Dr. Cutler, I wanna start with you. Uh, do you have any broad takeaways from those statewide outcomes? I mean, pretty, pretty large margins for the Republican candidates. I think in the lieutenant, or sorry, the attorney general race is one that a lot of people are watching. Um, Tom Arcouche, the Democratic nominee, got support from some former Republican officials, for example. So trying to build kind of a broader coalition. He, he did better than the other Democratic candidates, but still only getting about, 30, what, 37% of the vote. Um, so again, just kind of the strength of Republicans in those. So they'll come in with a pretty good mandate for, for their offices. 
Betty, you said something earlier that I want to circle back to about how uh, Mr. Height, the the Democratic candidate for governor, about how his his inactive campaign might have affected down ticket races. Do you think that that was a factor in Tom Arcouche losing? And I, and I want to acknowledge that you were actively involved in his campaign. Yeah, I do. Um, but I think as as uh, much of a factor was Ammon Bundy being on the ballot. And I think you saw a lot of people, um, a lot of the extreme um, right that came out to support Ammon Bundy um, voting for Raul Labrador as well. It wasn't the Lori Otters and the Phil Bats and the Benya Sursas who were supporting Raul. They supported Tom Arcouche, but it was the far right extreme that supported Raul. So I think Ammon Bundy had as much of an impact there as um, Stephen Hyde. But, but to be clear, Raul Labrador does have a, a wide amount of support within the Republican Party, even with even with some of the Republicans who did come out and support Tom Arcouche. That's true. I, I think I think a lot of that had really more to do with what may happen four years from now, right? There there is a, a an assumption, and I don't know whether it's true or not, but there's an assumption that Raul Labrador wants to run for governor four years from now, assuming Brad Little steps down, and that uh, Scott Bedke will be running for governor. And I think part of a lot of that was to try to hopefully head off that ugly uh, uh, primary race for governor four years from now. Well, I would say one thing in response to that. I think that Raul Labrador is planning to run for governor whether or not Brad Little steps down. So. Um, I would just well, there's a lot add of stuff that, that can happen mix. between yeah. now and then. You know, <laughs> yeah. Senator Risch's seat will be up for election. Uh, who knows what Mike Simpson's going to do over the next four or six years? So, yeah, I am barely recovered from Tuesday, so <laughs> I will wait until I think about four years from now. Well, let's talk a little bit about the superintendent's race. This is one where four years ago this was very close between the Democratic and the Republican candidates. Uh, not the case this time. I'm, I'm curious what the difference was this year, and I'd love to get your thoughts. I mean, Debbie Critchfield ran a very different campaign than what we saw Yabara usually run, right? I mean, very involved, very active, traveling across the state, talking to a lot of voters, advertising. Like, I think she really communicated with a lot of voters and, and was able to, to pull more support than what Yabara had been able to do in comparison across the years. And, and, and that may have also stolen some votes from Gilbert along the way, too. Maybe some of those uh, those education voters who might have traditionally gone for a Democratic candidate. Well, you know, I think that um, Terry Gilbert came into the race very late. Um, it, he filed in time to make the primary ballot. But he filed largely because there was a concern that there not be a choice. And it's always important that we give voters the choice. But he, there was also tremendous concern that Brandon Durst might have won that primary. And had Brandon Durst won the primary, then Terry Gilbert would have been an attractive um, alternative to a lot of folks. I think on a lot of issues, you don't see a huge gap between Debbie Critchfield and um, Terry Gilbert. Terry Gilbert was more strongly vocally opposed to vouchers than Debbie. But um, I think they're both what you would call mainstream candidates. Um, but had Brandon Durst been the Republican nominee, we would have had a very different scenario. A very different general campaign. Uh, Debbie Critchfield started early, first of all, and probably worked harder than any anybody else that was on the ballot, I think, this, this year. Yeah. You did mention um, incoming Lieutenant Governor-elect Scott Bedke earlier. This is another one where uh, it, there was a very strong Democratic candidate who ran hard, um, 
Fed Key did better than Janice McGeehan did four years ago. What were the factors in that, Ken? Well, I would argue it, it, it was probably a, a little bit of, a, of an anti-McGeehan kind of a feel, right, that, that came into play there. Um, and again, I think, you know, Scott started off early. Uh, he ran very quickly, or ran very hard, and so um, I, I, the result was not necessarily a surprise. Well, uh, on Tuesday, associate producer Logan Finney caught up with Democratic Lieutenant Governor candidate Terry Pickens Manweiler, who said she isn't yet done with Idaho politics, echoing a speech she gave earlier in the night. No matter what happens tonight, this voice is going to be speaking for all of you, and I'm going to be making it loud so everyone can listen. You all matter. Everyone in this room matters, and everyone in Idaho matters. Regardless of what happens tonight, my next step is to initiate a ballot initiative to restore reproductive freedom in this state. We're at a point in Idaho where we need to do that. 88% um, of the people of Idaho believe that we should have abortion access, and uh, so a ballot initiative will um, show the Idaho legislature it's time to pay attention to what the people want, not what they want. Dr. Kettler, since the overturn of Roe v. Wade this summer, we've already seen abortion access issues on the ballot. What do you think it would take for such an initiative to be successful in Idaho, hypothetically? I mean, it's it's going it's always a challenge even to just get on the ballot right for a ballot initiative. But we've seen abortion-related measures in other states, including more conservative Republican states, get on the ballot, seemingly turn out people to vote, and and be successful. And so I think that's this will be really interesting to watch as it develops moving forward. I, Betty, what are your thoughts on on how realistic this might be in a conservative state like Idaho? Well, I think um, I think it's not unrealistic, but I think a lot will depend on can we get an early start and can the initiative be drafted in a way to appeal to a majority of Idahoans. I think uh, most Idahoans do support reproductive health choice, but the question becomes at what um, where in the spectrum. And so I think um, I think there's going to be some serious conversations about what should the initiative look like, how should it read, and then the sooner they get started, the better their chance. Ken, in, in about 15 seconds, do you think it's possible for a narrowly tailored abortion initiative to gain some Republican support? Yes. Uh, I, you know, I, I think it's very, it, it, it's very difficult to get something on the ballot in the state of Idaho. I mean, and you know, legislature has done that on purpose. Um, but I do also expect that that debate is going to be a very hot debate in this coming legislative session from January through May. But depending on what comes out of that, um, there may be some good opportunity there for a ballot initiative. And speaking of the legislature, after tectonic shifts in legislative makeup this spring, thanks to retirements, redistricting, and primary defeats, the general election had fewer competitive races this fall. But four legislative districts kept Idaho politicos on the edge of their seats. District 6 in North Idaho, 15 in Ada County, 26 in Magic Valley and Wood River Valley, and 29 in Pocatello. Our partners at KUID and the University of Idaho School of Journalism and Mass Media caught up with two of the District 6 incumbents on Tuesday night in Moscow before results came in. Here's what they had to say. 
I think the biggest thing that I heard from voters was uh, about property tax. They were really worried about that. Um, and we've got some good solutions in that we're trying to work on, so I think that'll be good. Um, the other thing that I heard is I heard from a lot of different voters that they, they, they're kind of getting tired of the negativity that comes in, in elections. And so we want to try and figure out Idaho's better than that. And so that's what I'd like to do is see if we can't make Idaho, keep Idaho that way. I think that the, the, one of the first things we're going to address is the tax, uh, the property tax relief. Um, we're really focused on that. We've got a lot of different ideas that have been popping around. Um, one of the things that I personally would like to see is I'd like to see a comprehensive study so that we can actually fix it on a, on a more long-term basis and not just a short-term fix. I feel like we've, I've been able to run the campaign I wanted to run this, this cycle. Uh, I've been working hard since, since May, knocking many doors, talking to school boards, talking to people all across our district. Uh, I've, people have been incredibly generous, generous in my fundraising, so I've been able to do all the advertising I think I needed to do. I, I, I'm at peace with this race. I feel like I've done everything I needed to do, and I think I'm a good representative for this district. New territory to learn. I had to learn about Lewis County and Eastern Nespers County, although I grew up in Genesee, so that's kind of close to my old stomping grounds. Uh, it's, I think, better for me than the old legislative district. I think it's slightly friendlier to Democrats. Uh, and I've, I would say I learned that in my reception. And, and I think uh, it's, a, it's, it's a more coherent agricultural area. Uh, Nes Benoit County actually didn't have a lot to do with Laytaw County. It's more of a timber county, whereas Lewis and Eastern uh, Nespers are, are big prairie farm areas. So we're all wheat growers. Uh, we kind of kind of understand their issues already. Ultimately, Republicans swept all three seats in District 6, with Senator David Nelson narrowly losing to former Senator Dan Foreman. Incumbent Representatives Brandon Mitchell and Lori McCann won their races as well. But Democrats held the line elsewhere in the state, winning two seats in the new District 26 in South Central Idaho. Republican Representative Lori likely lost to Ron Taylor in her bid to move up to the Senate. Democrat Incumbent Representative Ned Burns also won. On Wednesday morning, unofficial results showed newcomer Democrat Karma Metzler Fitzgerald winning House seat B, but on Thursday morning, Jerome County and the Secretary of State's office said a tabulating error resulted in inaccurate numbers, making margins of victory even slimmer for Burns and Taylor and giving Republican Jack Nelson the edge over Fitzgerald. Democrats picked up a seat in the Senate in Boise's District 15, and otherwise margins stayed the same there and in Pocatello's District 29. On Tuesday night, associate producer Logan Finney spoke with Representative Steve Birch, who's been reelected to a third term, about his successes in the purple Ada County District 15. I ran five times before I won. That first race was actually in, in 2010. Two, dis two redistrictings ago, and but where I, but I've lived in what is District 15 for, uh, for um, you know for 41 years. You learn a lot of things that when you knock on doors, and you learn first of all that good ideas and good people come from all directions. But you also learn that people I think actually want to vote for the person, but they never get to meet the person, and so they have very little information. It's very hard to get information on legislative races. National news and politics dominates every screen you look at. But when someone actually gets a chance to meet the person, all of a sudden, and you're talking about issues, well, most of the issues people talk about are nonpartisan issues, education, wages, health care, uh, infrastructure. You know, asphalt knows no partisanship. 
I want to start with North Idaho in District 6. I am fairly sure that this is the first time in Idaho history, at least in the last 60 years, that a Democrat has not held a single legislative seat north of Riggins in that Pacific time zone. Uh, Betty, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. North Idaho used to be a Democratic stronghold. It did. When I was a little girl and the Republican sweep was coming in from the south, my dad would say, hey, wait wait till the north comes in. And when the north came in, it was a good message for Democrats, not so now. Um, so um, it's a loss. Um, losing Senator Nelson is a definite loss. Um, but he... Um, he defeated uh, Senator Foreman two years ago, so maybe he'll come back in two years. I hope so. We, we often see that area switch back and forth to Republican and Democrat, Republican and Democrat over the years. There are other districts up there that used to be, as you said, Democratic strongholds that have long since been Republican, switch Republican, and most of those didn't have a single Democratic candidate this time around. Um, is this a, a cultural change in North Idaho? Well, there's definitely a cultural change going on in North Idaho. I think you know the old days was they those were the, those were the moderate lunch bucket Democrats who, who were involved yes. in the mining industry up there. Quite yep. honestly, and, yep. and and yeah, that is that has slowly changed over time. And and now, as most of you know, it's kind of a a little haven for the redoubter kind of of crowd up there. And uh, it's it's going to take a lot of work to bring it back to normal. I think. Aside from District 6, uh, I know that you and I were keeping an eye on the same races on Tuesday night. Dr. Kettler, uh, did you, were you surprised uh, when you saw the final results from 15, 26, and 29? I mean, it's interesting. We've got some split results here, right? We're going to have some Democrats and Republicans representing um, these districts, which is, I mean, at least in, in 15 and 29, which is really interesting. Well, I guess in 26 now, too. All purple districts <laughs> in yeah. that Southern, in those Southern competitive. And so that's really fascinating. That either means, I mean, in some races, there was another candidate, but but voters may have been splitting their ticket as well, which is really fascinating. It may really speak to the importance of having candidates get out there and be active campaigners, knocking on doors, meeting voters. I think the, the, the bigger factor than who won and lost on Tuesday night, though, is how many new faces we are going to see this next legislative session. You know, Ken, I know that we get a lot of new faces every 10 years with redistricting, but have you ever seen something quite like this? No, I mean, we're now facing a situation where out of a 105-member legislature, we're going to have 50, 51 new people that weren't there in the last legislative session. Some of them have had some previous experience. And I think the challenge is going to be figuring out you know, what, the, what the broader personality legislature is going to be, and it may take us a full legislative session to really figure that out. You know, we have uh, less than two minutes left in the show, but I'd be remiss not to mention the passage of SJR 102, the constitutional amendment that will allow lawmakers to call themselves back into session if they have 60% majorities in both chambers. Um, you know, this was a slim victory for the yes. It was 52-48, most of the night it was within 1,000 votes of each other. Uh, Dr. Kettler, do you think that that slim passage is going to affect how lawmakers see the amendment and this new responsibility or power that they have. I mean, it sends a message that there were a lot of people that are concerned about the legislature having this power, and now it's really in the legislature's hands on how do they want to use it, and I mean, really, there's not a lot of restrictions if they do want to use it quite a bit, so it'll be really fascinating to see if they do feel any kind of hesitation or whether they just 
push forward. <laughs> Ken, I'm curious, that most Democrats were against SJR 102. Republicans were split. Uh, do you think it's gonna matter when we have so many new lawmakers, um, how they view that, the passage of that amendment? I think that's yet to be determined. I mean, personally, I thought it was a bad idea. And, and, and because it, you've kind of seen this growing, slow movement of legislatures kind of slowly taking over more and more power of what I think belongs in the hands of the, of the executive branch, excuse me. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. I hope that they don't come running back every time they're worried about some book that's in a library or whatever the okay. case might be, right? And costing taxpayers money every time that, that they do that. And we're gonna have to leave it there. Ken Burgess, Betty Richardson, and Dr. Jacqueline Keller, thank you so much for joining us and thanks for watching. We'll see you next week. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.